Welcome to Hive Mind, the pop culture podcast from the Beehive, where we talk the latest and greatest in pop culture. I'm Meg Walter in studio today with Nick Morley and Eli McCann. Hi, were you trying to remember where we were from? Um, yeah. <laughs> I was. So, how's it going? Going good. Yeah. I'm excited about today's material. Yeah, yeah me too. First, let's talk about what we've been watching. You go first. You never go first. That's true, because ladies never go first. The Ringer last week came out with their list of the best 100 TV episodes. <sighs> we wanted to bring this up today. <laughs> of the century. Really? Not the last 100 years. The century. Starting year, in the year 2000. Year 2000 to present. Okay. Um, it's a really fun list to read. I think because confirmation bias, like, oh, see, I have taste. That episode I really liked is on this list. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, I, too, am an expert in television. All right, I'm pulling this up. I have not. The best 100 TV episodes of the century. Yes. From The Ringer. I would recommend pulling it up on a computer because it shows the clip of the show. Yeah, as it's you're an audio it. list as well as text. So they play a clip of the episode and you get to read about it. And there's some really, really great ones. There goes um, my day. Yeah, I've revisited this list <laughs> Several about times. four times now. I made Steven watch with me the episode of SpongeBob SquarePants that is listed on that list. SpongeBob which is, made it, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the uh, Band Geeks episode where Squidward needs to get all bikini bottoms together to perform for their version of the Super Bowl. It's probably 10 of the greatest minutes of television ever. Uh, I didn't agree with their number one only because I haven't watched Lost. Um, Oh, it was a Lost episode. It was a Lost episode. Which one? The Constant. I don't remember. It's been too long. Yeah. Which made me feel like I should watch Lost, but I don't know if I have that kind of commitment. Did Friday Night Lights make it? It did. Yeah, the the pilot. pilot. Oh, the pilot episode is it's really actually good. super good. The when pilot. I when I read the blurb about it, I was like, "Yeah, that they, was the best." They say they describe it as the best sports movie ever. Is actually the Friday Night Lights pilot, which totally. is true. Yeah. It's totally true. I've watched that pilot probably fifteen times, and it never gets old to me. That episode, and then there's the episode where Matt Saracen's dad dies, and he goes to the funeral, and I think it won an Emmy for best writing that year. Hmm. I don't even remember. It's that in episode. the. The last season or the second to last season, and it is phenomenal writing and acting. But that's a good show. Okay, I need to read this whole list. Um, And, of course, there's a 30 Rock episode, the one where Tracy invents a porn video game. (laughs) Oh, But it's actually like Amadeus. Yeah. (laughs) And the whole thing's set to Mozart, which is like upon reflection. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty great. (laughs) Uh, Pretty remarkable. The number two episode, which I do think is... One of the best television episodes ever is the suitcase from Mad Men, the one where huh. Peggy gets really upset with Don that he won the, uh, what's the award? The Cleo. The Cleo for the glow coat ad. And he says, that's what the money, money is, is for, for. Uh-huh. which is something I think about all the time. So that list has been where I've been spending most of my pop culture energy the past week. We did start Succession last night on HBO which is a show about a incredibly rich family and all their problems, and they all yell the F word at each other a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. It's great. I love shows about rich people with problems because I think that it mm-hmm. makes me feel a little bit better about my own life. It's produced by Adam McKay and Will Ferrell, so there's a bit of a comedic edge to it, albeit a very dark comedic edge. Uh, but I'm enjoying it so far. And I watched um, an Emmy for Megan. 
You, which is you great. probably should explain what it is because yeah. I think I've been telling people about this and nobody knows what this is. So Megan Amram is not only the funniest person on Twitter. Every day she tweets, "Today is the day Donald Trump became president," <laughs> and it's funny every day. It's like funnier and every i don't day. even know why it's funny every day but because every is. day he does something where you're like what <laughs> every single day she's been doing it for two years yeah. and it's funny every time i see it i'm um, like Haha. <laughs> so funny she's really funny on twitter she also was a writer for parks and rec and is now a writer for the good place so yeah. she's one of mike shore's go-to's and she learned that she really wanted to win an Emmy, and she learned that you could create a web series to be nominated for an Emmy, and there's, like, rules. Mm-hmm. She, like, meets the bare minimum of the rules to qualify for a web series, and she produces this. It's called an EmmyForMegan.com. Mm-hmm. You can watch the whole thing in about 18 minutes. Uh-huh. It's <laughs> she meets the exact bare minimum. Like, the, yeah. they have to be this long, this many episodes. It has to be scripted. Yes. And the show is about her trying to get an Emmy. Yeah. And it opens up the first episode. She's like talking to a friend and she's like, I just need an Emmy. So this is scripted right now because I need an Emmy and this counts. And the friend is like, how does this count? And it's just like total stupid. And there's one episode where she's like, I just realized there's no time minimum. And so the episode ends. And that's the whole episode. It's really great. On EmmyForMegan.com, there is some language. But again. And the miracle is that she was nominated for oh, two yeah. Emmys. She was actually nominated. <laughs> this uh, worked. It's very meta, uh, very funny. If you have 18 minutes to spare, go check it out. So that's my list. Nick, what have you been watching? So I've actually been diving into the 100 best TV episodes, too. I had a couple of gripes with it. Mm-hmm. Namely. A little bit too much reality TV was thrown in there. But like, I guess like they only had one entry per show, so you couldn't do four episodes of Friday Night Lights. You couldn't do five oh. episodes of Curb. So I thought that was fair, but... Survivor made top ten. Yeah. There was an episode should. of Survivor. Which one do you know? Final Four. It's called Final Four. I don't remember what I'm, season. I'm sure I know. I'm, I'm really excited to find this. I, for some reason, I can't pull it up on my phone. I was just going to ask if Survivor made it because there have been a few Survivor episodes that I'm like, this is phenomenal TV. Yeah. So, yeah. The episode of The Bachelor where Ari invites Becca over to his house to break up with her is on the list. Oh, God. Which, as I was watching it, I was like, I am a deplorable human, but this is the best television <laughs> I've ever seen. I remember you saying that. This is so oh. riveting. The OC pilot got number nine. Yeah. I don't know about that. I'm not a not a fan of the rating. First, I am not bagging on the OC. Well, sure. Because you don't want to get struck to hell. No, of course not. Because it did define a lot of television that went after that. It turns out that a whole bunch of teenagers were just looking for a soap opera that they could mm, yeah. <laughs> try yeah. and relate to. My whole <laughs> freshman dorm. <laughs> so, but there were better episodes. But... I realized when I was going through the list, I had never done all of Curb Your Enthusiasm. You, um, you haven't watched it beginning? No, I haven't. I've been like five episodes into season one, and I've seen episodes here and there, but I started it over again, and it's so good. <laughs> is it? <laughs> is it the best 30-minute HBO comedy that they've had? It, like, takes, it takes you a minute. Veep is the best. Yeah, Veep I, is the best. Yeah, Veep is the they've got to be Curb pretty close. Veep is a little bit you better. You have to get over like the very poor production quality. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hard. Episode one, scene one, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I know. Yeah. It's like, what sixth grader filmed yeah, this on their Yeah, it looks like it's filmed on a handy cam. Yeah. yeah. But Larry David is amazing. I kind of look at everybody a little bit more negative now. 
just like everyday situations. Like the world. Like the, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope to blow through it quick and then get over it, um, but <laughs> laugh along the way. So that's going to take up a lot of my I feel like Curb Your Enthusiasm is the rare show in which the episodes get better as the series goes on. Yeah. I think some of the best episodes were in the final season. Well, the final season, the first go around, because mm. they just did that new season. And I was kind of lukewarm about the newest. Has season. the new season been good? It was not my favorite. Really? It kind of turns out that Larry David's humor hasn't aged super great. Okay. Mm. So when you're watching it in the paradigm of like early 2000s, mm-hmm. you can kind of like get back there. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, you're just kind of a terrible you're just, person. You're just a jerk. <laughs> yeah. So there, I watched an episode on a plane last week, and I think it's the new season where he won't hold the door open for a lesbian. Did yeah. you see? <laughs> that episode was hysterical. That one was really funny. I think that's the first one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I hadn't watched it in years and I'd like put it on and the episode opens with him trying to decide whether he should hold this door open for a lesbian who's walking toward him and he's like, if I hold it open, she might get mad. <laughs> and he decides not to and then she gets really mad and then they just keep running into each other for the rest of the episode and like the door opening thing is like keeps coming back up and it is really, really clever. And so I was like actually surprised. I was like, if this is the new season, I, I guess it's doing well. But you're saying. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, there is one scene in this episode where Marty Funkhauser wants to like break up their friendship. And Marty Funkhauser is leaving Larry David's house. <laughs> and it's maybe one of the funniest things I've ever seen on TV. So there's like definitely standout moments. OK. But the overarching story, you're like, oh, Larry, like, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know, Larry. You're too old to be doing that. I know you guys are going to hate me for saying this, but Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian, has not held up for me. I think he's just a jerk. And now every time I see him on anything, I'm just like, just go away. We've been watching comedians in cars getting coffee. Mm -hmm. And there are some that are really funny, but some where Jerry's just like bragging. Yes. Yeah. That's how that show feels like to me. Yeah. So that's kind of how his Netflix special was that came out last year. It was like. This is where I started, and now look at me. And it's mm-hmm. like, dude, just let us have Seinfeld. So rich. Okay. Yeah. Take me back to that apartment. Let's hang out. Yeah. Like, it was funny. He was on This American Life or some, some NPR crap that I was listening to. <laughs> Did you hear that episode where the French guy who was trying to be a comedian in America, and he like his humor wasn't quite landing, and he talked to Jerry Seinfeld, and Jerry Seinfeld was such a jerk to him. And was just like, you just go back to your country. You're not good. You're not good here. To be the best, you have to be this. You have to be that and whatever else. And I was listening to this and I'm like, I kind of feel like you're a has-been. So I'm not sure that yeah. you get to talk uh-huh. to people about being the best because you're definitely not the best right now. But anyway. He, uh, one episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee is him and Kate McKinnon. Mm. And it is so apparent how much funnier Kate McKinnon is than him, uh-huh. like blowing him out of the water yeah. by how funny she is. And it's just like, oh, you're you're not it anymore. Yeah. yeah. You're done. And we've moved on. And go be rich and enjoy your life. Yeah. Enjoy your cars without camera. Sure. <laughs> Anything else you're watching? No, that's it. Eli, what have you been watching? I'm still watching Orange is the New Trash. <laughs> <laughs> is it, it's trashy. It's so bad. Is it guys. getting worse? I can't tell. I don't know. Every time I watch a new season, I'm like, I think it's getting worse. But then I think back to earlier seasons and no, I just think it's just always really bad. Um, Bad as in like over the top or as in like bad writing? No, the writing is great. And the character development is phenomenal, which is why I keep watching the stupid show. It's so trashy. There's just like gratuitous nudity constantly. And also I keep thinking like, who is this nudity for? Because it's like these like really gross like prison women. (laughs) 
And like, and like, they put them in situations where I'm like, them being naked for this scene was totally unnecessary. <laughs> and also, I don't think anybody would be attracted to that. Like, I, I don't know. They're just like testing their viewers. Like, what you gonna do about it? Uh, sometimes you got women a problem with women's bodies. <laughs> So there's that. The language is like absolutely atrocious. Like I actually feel guilt watching it. I feel like it's like former Mormon guilt like coming over me. And I'm like, Eli, you can't hear the F word more times. Like you've heard the F word enough times in your life now. Like you've hit your max. But it's just it's the story is so compelling and I can't I just can't put it down. So I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's a show that I love that I will not recommend to anyone. Sure. Yeah. That's okay. fair. Anything else? Um, no, not really. I think that's it. All right. Well, let's dive in then. Uh, this week, we all went and saw Eighth Grade, mm-hmm. uh, Bo Burnham's movie. First movie, uh, Bo Burnham, the comedian who's a YouTube sensation. Really funny guy. He wrote and directed this movie about an eighth grade girl finishing eighth grade. After this movie, I turned to Nick, whom I saw it with, and said I was not emotionally ready to relive eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had been a little more warned that it was going to be so real. So because real. Yeah. that movie was so uncomfortably real, uh-huh. I cringed from beginning to end. Uh-huh. Did you have the same reaction? Yes. I think I turned to you and said that was very cringy. <laughs> was, that was like that was hard way to too watch. Yep. I literally won most quiet. Uh, <laughs> just in the, our the girl grade in the movie. Why did they do that? That's, yeah, why did they do that one? I don't know. And watching that movie I'm like, why do they do that? Why are we putting labels on kids when they're 13 and 14? But we do. Yeah. We've always done, and the teachers are just trying to be cool, you know, the dabbing principal which is I mm-hmm. had a seventh grade homeroom teacher that turned on MTV for us every morning. Uh-huh. He just wanted to be yeah. cool. Yeah. Middle school is terrible for everyone. It's terrible for the kids who are there. It's terrible for the teachers who couldn't quite hack really high school awful. teachers, right. you know? Yeah. And, like, the grades don't matter yet, so, like, the kids aren't totally invested. And... It's just the worst yeah. time to be living. So, to speak to the realness issue, this movie affected me like affected me for days. It's like I still can't get it out of my system. And we were driving home after seeing this movie on like Saturday night and I won Neat Freak, <laughs> which is was not something that I was excited to win in eighth grade. And I didn't know that people saw me as like this Nazi cleaner. Like I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't even know people thought of me at all because I, like the girl in the movie, basically had no friends in eighth grade. Yeah. And we were driving home and I was thinking about that and Skyler was like, what did you think of the movie? And I was like, I started talking. I was like, oh, it's just reminding me of all these experiences from eighth grade that I never think about. And I started talking about them and I started crying. (laughs) And I was like, I'm a 34-year-old man and I'm crying about how eighth grade was traumatizing. But it is. It's It's so so bad. It's a horrible place. So – this movie was as terrible as it was to watch. And we should say it's a very good yeah, it's a phenomenal movie. movie. It's amazing. It's a really good movie. It's just way too real. Um, it was actually, in a way, kind of cathartic for me. Because yeah. I think I've been holding on to some trauma from yeah. eighth grade. Where in eighth grade, you feel like the only freak. You feel like you're the only one who's not, they're like unsure about their body. And they're like not really sure what their personality is yet. And mm-hmm. they want to be cool but they're inherently nice, you know, like all these contradictory emotions. 
But turns out everyone else was feeling that way. Mm-hmm. And there's like four kids in all of middle school who are like sure of themselves and popular. <laughs> and you feel like they're the majority mm-hmm. when in actuality everyone else was just like you. In that way, the movie was like, oh my gosh, I wasn't the only one. Yeah. You know, this girl is representative of a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And bless her heart, she's trying so hard, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's making these YouTube videos about how to be confident and how to make friends and how to apply makeup when really she's struggling really hard. She's trying to talk to other kids and trying to make friends. And their interactions are so real. Yeah. I feel like in a lot of these teen movies, the mean girls are like overtly mean. Yeah. And in this one, she's just kind of ignored. Yeah. Yeah. Which is way more accurate. Mm hmm. I don't know. What were your other impressions? It was so well cast, first of all. It was like even down to the really, really minor characters, it was like they went to a a middle school and got a principal and were like, hey, will you come to this assembly? The way they spoke to one another, everybody was stumbling over their words. Like Nobody was articulate at all in the film. Their monologues, they would get halfway through a sentence and abandon it and jump to another sentence. And throughout the whole movie, it just felt like, oh, yeah, this is like how people actually talk. And especially this is how eighth grade kids talk. And so I really liked that. The dad character was a really great, great character. And I was like sobbing during his kind of monologue scene when they're sitting around the campfire and she has to really defeated. Mm -hmm. I feel like if I had a daughter like me, I would be sad. And his monologue was what I wish This Is Us was, Mm -hmm. which is it was very flustered and he doesn't know what to say, but he knows what he should say. And it's trying to say, but it's having a hard time getting it out. And it takes a really long time and it's very stumbly, but it's like really heartfelt. And I was like bawling by the end of that scene. Very real dialogue. Yeah. Back to the casting and how true these kids were. Not a lot of them are, like, good-looking kids. No. They're not, like, movie stars. You're walking down the hall, and you're like, I went to school with these kids. Yeah. Even the popular girls are like, eh. Yeah. They just look like regular kids. (laughs) Cute for eighth grade, you know? But they're, like, small and, like, the really cute boys, like, the scrawny. (laughs) I was going to say, like, that dude is not... I don't know. He's an eighth grade boy. But I remember that boy, like Cade Cooper with like the dreamy eyes. I'm sure he weighed 100 pounds at the time. But (laughs) I was like, oh, my gosh, Cade, you know. These were not Disney kids. No, these were like real, real kids. And like their personalities, like there's the one kid every time the kids are all together, he yells, LeBron James. (laughs) And there's like always that one kid with the one joke he knows will kill every time. Yeah. The kids who like are obsessed with like talking about sex and they bring it up at every chance possible like Mm -hmm. i sat across from a kid like that yeah very 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 representative of how eighth grade really was Mm -hmm. bo burnham did a good job of capturing what it's like now in eighth grade to have a cell phone right and to have a smart like i didn't get a phone until i was 16 and it was a nokia brick right with snake on it with snake and my parents got upset with me when i bought anything on the internet that (laughs) came with the nokia phone but now it's like it used to be like passing notes and that's how the gossip was transported but now it's instagram snapchat text messaging and she's trying to stay on top of that and she's trying to navigate finding friends and being Mm -hmm. confident and i thought it was tough back then i can't even imagine what it's like now with that pressure and he did a really good job of showing her like on her computer, on her phone, who knows till how late at night trying to find the best version of herself from a social media standpoint. So that's... It was a little bit two-sided, though, with the technology thing, because on the one hand, 
it stressed me out that they had all of this social media and I don't know how I, I'm yeah. so glad social media did not exist when I was a teenager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was in middle school in the nineties and we didn't there were no cell phones, like nothing. But on the other hand, there's the scene where she's at the party and she realizes, Oh, I made a big mistake. I should not have come to this party. No one wants me here. Yeah. And she's able to go to the other room and call her dad or text or whatever and get him there. And as that was happening, I thought you know, when I was in the 90s and we ended up in those situations, you just had to live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, well, dad's coming to get me at six. That's we in three all, hours. We all had those situations. I remember yeah. going to a cool girl's party and talking to her mom the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> How recently was that? Oh, last week. <laughs> <laughs> There's also things about this movie being 2018, like the school shooting drill. Oh, yeah. Where you're yeah. like, this is so morbid. Mm-hmm. But the kids' reactions are 100% what kids' reactions would be. They're not taking mm-hmm. it seriously at all. Mm-hmm. The one kid, <laughs> she says, do you think we'll ever have a shooting here? And he's like, I hope so. I would, I would mess him up, which is yeah. like 100% something yeah. a 13-year-old boy would say. Yeah. And so we as adults are horrified by that prospect. Kids aren't even like... They're kids, you sure. know? They're not considering it for real. They're being idiots. Kids are always idiots. So there's things that even though they have all this added technology and nonsense, kids are still kids and they haven't really changed. And the way they interact on social media is very true to what a 13-year-old does, mm-hmm. right? And the kind of sayings they have and stuff. I want to talk about the moment of conflict in this film. Oh. And how well done Oh my gosh! it is. Um First of all, as a parent, this film was horrifying. Mm-hmm. I, Because this is what happens to kids. This is what happens to girls at this age and boys. And it's a mess and it's scary. So there's this moment. She's hanging out with some high schoolers because a high school girl was really nice to her. And the boy's driving them home and he drops off the other high school girl first. And then he pulls over the car and he gets in the back seat with her and he wants to play truth or dare. And she's pretty reluctant but they play truth or dare and he eventually dares her to take off her shirt and she's mortified and embarrassed and eventually just yells no at him mm-hmm. which and like for a minute you're like what's gonna happen is she gonna yeah. be assaulted is this a movie about rape it's a really dangerous situation very scary yeah. but it's not that but he gets in the front seat and drives her home and she keeps apologizing which is so heart-wrenching and mm-hmm. so indicative of where she's at in her self-esteem and deciding who she is. That ripped me apart. What Mm. was your reaction to that part? The apologizing was the thing that stood out the most, and he's yelling at her. He continues to be a jerk to her as he drives her the rest of the way home, yells at her to stop apologizing. And then he sees her weakness and turns it even further on her and says, I was just trying to help you. You know, now when you have your first hookup, it's going to be with somebody who doesn't care or whatever he says. And, and you're going to be bad at it. And you're going to be bad at it. Yeah. And he just he keeps putting her down. And then before she gets out of the car, because she's met this high school girl who was really, really nice to her, the only person like minor in the whole film who like had really overtly shown kindness and friendship up to this point. She's getting out of the car, and it, her name's Olivia or something, mm-hmm. and she says, please don't tell Olivia about this, as if she was the one who had screwed up right? and not the guy. And the whole time she was driving home, I kept thinking, he's probably hoping that Olivia doesn't find out what just happened. Right. That's what you I was know? thinking, yeah. too. It was just so interesting to pop back into the eighth grader's mind, which reminds me of one thing I wanted to say about this scene and a lot of the scenes in the movie 
is they did a really interesting thing with the camera work where typically in scenes when you have two characters talking, it'll kind of flash back and forth between the two of them. The camera would just rest on her mm -hmm. and you would hear the conversation and you'd see her speak her part. And then you would just hear the other part as if it was happening behind the camera. And it was really an interesting way to show, to keep reminding you, actually, the point of this movie, I think, is to view the world through the eyes of an eighth grader. And that was happening in that scene. They weren't showing him that much. It was just the camera was on her and then you could hear him yelling at her as she was apologizing. And it was a really interesting way to make sure that we understood exactly what she was feeling and what her perspective was. They do that very effectively, that unmoving camera, too, when she's at the popular girl's birthday party and the popular girl is opening gifts. Mm. And you can tell she's telling herself, smile now. And react this way, yeah. which is something when you're feeling very insecure that you have to do, right? Mm. You have to say, make my face look like this, look like I'm having fun, look like I belong. Nick, what was your reaction? Of the scene? Yeah. The worst part about it for me was the aftermath. So she comes home really upset. And I thought about the dad in that situation. I was like, oh, my gosh, what happened? Because, first of all, he messed up going to the mall staring at him the whole time but then did he wish that he stayed there he may never find out what happened which is a scary thought as a parent thinking what are my kids going to go through in middle school that they're not going to tell me about because they're going to be too embarrassed and they don't want their parents hanging out with them in every situation making sure it doesn't happen again mm -hmm. that's really what i took away the most from it um, you guys hit a lot of other good notes on that but that was the last thing uh, for me you know you touched on the dad and how well cassie is but the character of the dad is very good at showing what it's like being a parent in that you're just making wild swings all the time mm -hmm. and hoping that mm -hmm. something hits, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you're just trying your best. You have no idea what you're doing. And in this movie, you can tell he's just trying his best. Yeah. He doesn't know how to talk to a 13-year-old girl. She's mad at him most of the time, yeah. as most 13-year-olds are. For unknown reasons. Right, just because yeah. she's 13. Yeah. I told Nick I'd rather be dying in a nursing home than relive middle school mm -hmm. again. 100%. I would never, ever do that again because it's so miserable. And she's so miserable mm -hmm. the whole time. Um, I want to talk about her. I know we're running out of time, but how well cast she specifically mm -hmm. is. I've listened to a number of podcasts with Bo Burnham talking about this movie. And he talks about the casting and how many girls they auditioned. I forgot the main character's name. Kayla. Kayla. Yeah. How many girls they auditioned to play Kayla? And he said, I saw a lot of confident girls coming in, pretending to be shy. And then this actress walked in, and you could immediately tell she was shy, mm. trying to be confident, and they cast her <laughs> immediately. that's the role. Yeah. That's who she shy is. Shy, trying to be confident. Yeah. Um, the way she carries her body in this movie is so great. When she's walking to this pool party in a swimsuit, and her shoulders, shoulders. are sunken, yeah, that, oh. and she has her hands around her waist because she's self-conscious, and... Mm -hmm. She's so good, and she looks like she's in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. She's not 25 yeah. playing 14, which really makes this movie stand out. It does. I want to add one last thing because we can't have a whole podcast without saying this. The friend date scene at the end of the movie is already one of my all-time favorite movie scenes. So sweet. So oh, my gosh. The two kids are so awkward. Yeah. And their conversation is so uncomfortably awkward, but I never wanted that scene to end. He leaves his certificate of excellence in archery on the table. <laughs> so she can see it. And he's like, oh, sorry, what's this doing here? 
Oh, what? No, yeah, this is from summer camp. <laughs> you don't want to see it. Like, I, he's I like, think it's stupid. You can tell he's like a little autistic, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Just like super socially awkward. So sweet. So nice to her. His house is kind of weird. Yeah. She has like the best time, though. They yeah. talk about nothing. It's a great way to end this movie yeah. that she goes and gets in the car and the dad's again, the camera's on her and he's like, how was it? And she just says it was really good. And then she smiles. Yeah. Oh, it was such a good way to end that so, movie. In my tendency to make every movie about me, <laughs> I realize like that's part of what high school is. It's finding right? your people. Finding your people who maybe are not the coolest people. But they're people you enjoy, right? Mm -hmm. And they're people you get along with, and they are the friendships you might carry for the rest of your life. And that's what sets middle school apart as the worst time, because you're just trying to fit in, and you're just trying to be cool, and you're just trying to get anybody to like you. And in high school, those pieces start to fit together mm -hmm. uh, and become the rest of your life. So I think it was a very smart choice to make this movie about eighth grade specifically, Cast it with a girl who looks like she's in eighth grade, fill out the rest of the cast with doofus adults just trying to do what they can, and kids who look like they're in eighth grade. Yeah. So, eighth grade, playing now uh, in Salt Lake. I don't know if it's elsewhere in Utah. Yeah, it's probably time. only in Salt Lake, but... But it's worth the drive. All right. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. See you.